SolarWind Media presents Ron Schaefer's podcast. So now I was back in my motel, trying to get the stink of sewers and the memories of past chewed employees out of my mind with the help of some really cheap liquor they sell in Miami Beach. Something called bear fart. Never heard of it either. Funny thing, it tastes like bear fart too. Hence the name. So now I get a call from Kier Snarfogub. Astrolabe has a message for me from the spirit world. I'm guessing our friend, Dimitrios, but she didn't say. I'm to meet someone important at 11 p.m. at Pier 35. I didn't know where Pier 35 was or if there even was one, but that was the entire message. And Kier hung up. I was too dizzy to do a follow-up, so I just collapsed on the bed and fell asleep. Didn't wake up until sunset, and one of the new news channels was still playing the news of the day. So as I showered and shaved and changed clothes, I had brought with me two sets. Now was the time for the other one. I listened to the reports coming in. It would seem there had been another attack in the Miami area, with a man found dead by his toilet. So the crisis was indeed continuing, and there were likely to be more deaths appearing on TV before too long. I headed out to find anything that might call itself Pier 35, found something that looked okay, and as most of what passes for piers are docks for pleasure cruisers, I was unsure of who or what I was supposed to be expecting. Had an all-too-pricey coffee to go at one of the yachting hangouts and waited around at the end of the dock for somebody to come by and recognize me. It was already 10 minutes past 11 when some shady character out of an old Bogart movie showed up under the lamplight. He was dressed in all black, a trench coat, no less, with collar turned up so I couldn't see his face. Sharp-rimmed hat pulled down to shade his eyes from the lamppost, arms tucked in his pocket so that I never got to see his hands move. Actually, he was a picture from a cartoon. Have you been in southern Florida at any time other than the middle of winter? It's no mystery that folks here don't wear a lot of clothing. One reason the college kids are always here for spring break. So a guy dressed head to foot like it was New York in November is automatically suspicious. I'm not sure darkness made for enough cover, but there didn't seem to be too many people around. You, Wiener, came a soft, scratchy voice. I'm Wiener, I answered, tossing my cardboard cup in a trash bin. Follow me, he turned to go. He had a funny limp that certainly made him noticeable even without the getup. Where are we going? A boat ride, he whispered back to me. Why? Show you. Show me what? Why did you want to meet me? You've been asking. I have? When? You want to know, don't you? I shrugged and followed him. We went to a boat dock with a snazzy-looking black speedboat tied to the pier. I stepped into it and sat down. The stranger untied the boat, got in, started up the engine, and we pulled away, heading out into the open ocean. He didn't speak again, and me asking the same question over and over about where he was planning on taking me seemed pointless, so I just waited. 
He soon kicked the boat into overdrive, and we were all but flying away from the city. Despite the wind, the man's hat stayed clamped down on his head. Was it pinned? Then, after fleeing the lights of Miami Beach like a bat out of hell, we suddenly came to a stop. The boat bobbed in its own backwater as we sat silently, with only the stars and a certain glow from the civilized shoreline to see by. Now what? I asked. He didn't answer. I'm just a reporter for a shitty newspaper, I said. What'll that get you? Then something bubbled up from beneath the surface. Its emergence pushed the boat around a bit. It seemed as if a whale was rising up from the bottom to meet us. Turned out it was this strange-looking craft, almost like a spaceship, lights flashing around it. Only it wasn't made out of metal. It almost looked like an artificially created copy of a jellyfish, a hundred times the size of one, and not transparent. Whatever it was made out of seemed to be an organic substance, like somebody took some kind of vegetable matter and made a plastic or ceramic out of it. The thing finished rising and settled, waiting for the waves to dissipate. A door opened up, light spilling out. The stranger turned to me finally and said, Enter. For the first time, I got a good look at him. He had a fish face. USO, I muttered to myself. So they're real. If they were going to kill me, they wouldn't be going to all this trouble. And they wouldn't have contacted Astrolabe either. Or contacted Demetrios to contact Astrolabe, to contact Curious Marfogum, to contact me, to meet them. They would have just hired a hit fish to get me as I was taking a shower. Or send a monster eel to bite my ass off. So I shrugged and thought, why not? How many people are asked to ride in a fish spaceship, or fish ship, or undersea ship, or USO, or whatever the fuck this thing is? After you, I said to the stranger, he continued to stare at me blankly, either not understanding or not about to turn his back on me. So I went. I hobbled to the edge of the boat and stepped onto a platform that felt like I was stepping on something a bit squishy, like stepping on an air mattress or a waterbed. Then I went down a few steps through the door. The place was all lit up with some kind of ambient light, but I was unaware of any particular light source. There were two fish guards standing on either side of the hallway. They had fishy, fin-like limbs and were holding onto tridents. These fish apparently walk upright, at least some of the time. I followed along the hallway until I came to a door, which opened automatically. I went inside to a blank room. The walls seemed to be made of the same air mattressy material the platform was. The walls had no pictures or windows, but it was well lit, and the walls themselves gave off a glowing, multicolored light that kept changing the same way a lava lamp keeps changing whatever is going on inside that thing. There was a single chair, which I guess was meant for me, so I sat down on it and waited. The door behind me closed, and fresh air kept blowing in from somewhere. Then another door opened up and in walked a big fish moving with the same sort of limp the stranger in the trench coat had. Fins adapted to walking probably aren't very graceful, or so it would seem. 
I could tell he was a big fish because he was big, and secondly, he wore some kind of crown on his head. Scales, I guess, are good enough for fish, as he, like the guards, didn't wear anything that I would recognize as clothing. Face it, humans need clothing, not only because our hides are very frail, but some of us are just butt ugly. Fish don't need it, so they don't wear anything except for disguises like my friend in the speedboat. Good evening, Mr. Bond. So nice of you to join us, said the uh, fish. Bond? That's not what you're called? As in James Bond? Like the movies? I'm in a scene with a Bond villain? I labeled you incorrectly? You must forgive me. We watch a lot of your movies, and I base much of my information on that. I understood you were all called Bond. Only 007 in the movies. Don't you watch anything else besides James Bond pictures? Those are the only ones I like. The rest bore me. I don't understand your funny pictures. They're not funny. Maybe we have different senses of humor than you do. Possibly. Or we just have better taste. So you're not Bond, then? Not even close. I was wondering. I would have thought you'd be infinitely more handsome by human terms. Well, the movies don't always portray things accurately. So I see. What do I call you, then? I'm Wiener. Ah. Mr. Wiener. Hmm. Isn't that a sausage? That's a more polite description, yes. I see. I'm the general, or rather you can call me that. That's the closest word in your language to what I am as far as my position goes. It's a simple translation. My real title is called... I'll call you general. Good, good. I suppose you're wondering why we've brought you aboard. And who you are. Who we are? Why, we're the really, really smart fish people. Perhaps you've heard of us. Only recently. Ah, yes. Through our contact, Astrolabe. Actually, through our contact, Demetrius, to Astrolabe, to Kier Snarfogun, to you. Astrolabe has been in contact with you before? Periodically. Demetrios is dead, but he still hangs around the place. She probably told you he was one of the Atlanteans we used to work with before he died. I gathered that. Still sharp as ever, death hasn't slowed him down. I admired that in a man. Anyway, through some crude communication device you call a newspaper, of which you are a member, you are trying to track down our attack eels. So you are the ones behind that. Yes, that's what we've come to talk to you about. My paper is the one to tell it to. You are its representative. It's my understanding you have some skill in finding stories. Our paper hires the most talented... Well, they hire the most... Well, they hire. I think it's important you tell your story accurately so that what we are trying to do is clearly conveyed. I'm all years. Yes, I was wondering about that. Do you humans really feel you need those big ugly scoops on the sides of your head in order to hear better? 
Uh, it helps, I guess. I never thought about it before. They really don't come as options. No? Pity. The general thought a moment. While we're on the subject, or a similar one, shall I say, what exactly is that object on your nose? Some kind of sonic recording device? Glasses. I use them to see. Ah, I didn't realize you were so crippled. We fish have perfect vision, you know. Yes, I know, for underwater. Well, yes, you do raise a point. Our eyes are a little less efficient in your dry air. Still, one would think you wouldn't need them, having spent all your time up here on the surface. Some are better than others. I see. The general took a moment to start trying to find the most diplomatic avenue to progress. We are unhappy with your kind, you know, he said, trying to assume politeness the best way fish can come to it. We have been dealing with your sewage for thousands of your years. Our years? You must remember we in the ocean do not gauge time by seasons or by watching the sun. There is night and day here, of course, but there is no reason to put them into categories called years. We also gauge by currents, but they do not necessarily correspond with your idea of years. I suppose not. Anyway, within the time span of one of your centuries, you have most recently dealt us an upsurge in your sewage output. It's multiplied some 20 times over since you invented your automobile, flushing all your garbage into the rivers and or right into the sea. And trust me, it does not smell all that enjoyable to be around. That's why we flush it. We were quite happy to live peaceably apart from you. You occupy the land, we the sea. That seemed to be fair. And we, we were also ahead of you technologically, even though our ancestors learned much from your ancestors via Atlantis. We got the better end of the deal as we were less inclined to wars or subject to diseases. You know, your bodies are surprisingly frail. Rumor has it. Of course, you began pushing the limits of things, all about those automobiles again, with all your ships and your oil-sucking platforms. Avoidance seemed to be the best alternative for us, but you really know how to make a nuisance of yourselves with your greed for more and more. Always about oil, too. And then the sewage just got to be too much. I mean, really. You live in the air, and yet you also keep throwing some of your sewage into the air, too. Something you'd think you'd have the good sense not to do. And that air sewage? That eventually filters down to us, you know. The ocean is a big sponge. No pun intended. We are a peaceful people, but we are getting to the point where we are just darn mad. So, monster eels? As a warning, for now, all we ever see is what comes out of your backsides as you dump it on our heads. It seemed an appropriate solution to grab your attention by grabbing us by the ass. So you would put it. You say it's a warning. What follows? Other measures. Such as? Why don't you come with me? A door opened, or unzipped, or whatever goes on inside that thing, and a guard stood aside. Please, he motioned politely, and I followed him as he flumped down a hallway. Just exactly what are those things you keep sending to us? 
We've never seen them before. Especially bred for the purpose, believe it or not, at one stage of their development they were pets, much like you have your pit bulls and German shepherds. Friendly enough when treated so, but ferocious when trained to attack. And we highlighted changes in their anatomy to improve on those who will be trained for soldiering. Soldiering. Interesting way to put it. How would you put it? I thought you might appreciate its directness. We came to another doorway that slid open with a guard stepping aside, and once again the general offered a fin forward. Please. I entered and found a series of tanks filled to the brim with water. Not something you would expect to see in a jellyfish spaceship, but then what would you expect to see in here? Your people, the general began, such as Mr. Snarflegump, refer to them as sea balloons. We call them something else, but that doesn't matter. Looking over the edge of the tanks, I saw thin, wiry eels looking like little bullwhips swimming through the water by the dozens. They have short lifespans and are rather stupid, but in their domestic variety are rather endearing, especially among the young ones. I'll take your word for it. Over here in this tank are the adolescent males. Those are the ones we pick for fighting. I moved to the next tank, and there were fewer of the bullwhips present, but they were bigger and had a cocky air about them. They occasionally squabbled with each other, but that seemed to be more of a wrestling match than an angry display over territorial rights. Occasionally they faced off with each other, and their heads inflated to some five or ten times their normal size, depending on their age. And once they blew up their heads, you could see a mouthful of rather big teeth. They didn't have a lot, like four or five on either side of the head, but they looked like huge razor blades, wide and sharp. Then he moved me over to yet another tank, which contained only one. It had to be ten feet long, at least. The adults, adult males, we have to keep in separate tanks, the general said, or they'll kill each other. It lifted its head out of the water and inflated it to the size of a beach ball. It made no noise, but seemed to snarl at me. Don't mind it, the general said. He doesn't know you and isn't used to seeing you. That's a mild threat, meaning stay away. He isn't ready to attack. He gets much more aggressive when he's on the attack. The general put a fin on the eel's head and made some sort of cooing sound. The eel deflated and dove back into its tank. I unclenched my buttocks. Is there anything else you want to show me? I said, anxious to leave. Just to give you an idea of what we can send against you if we want to, said the general. Ever thought of suing for peace? We've seen how you people handle peace negotiations. We are not tempted. Keep in mind, you are the offending parties here. We do not dump our garbage onto you. So you send monster eels to attack old men. Yes, sorry about that. The eels are guided by smell. Once loose in the ocean, they travel to what smells the worst. That's how they get into your plumbing. We don't deliberately place them there, but it's better than sending them randomly along the beach where they can take out dozens of humans at a time. Still, the only reason they've been going after the old males of your kind is because it seems they smell the worst. You've got a point there. Actually, our ambition is to take on politicians and heads of oil companies. True, some of them live down here, but we were really thinking of heading up the Potomac and up the Hudson. But the water's colder, and we needed to get the eels acclimatized to human water environments first.
and they reproduce as they kill. Found out about that, have you? Yes, indeed they do. But we weren't afraid of an overpopulation of them, even though they breed quickly. They also die off quickly. One or two meals, and they curl up like dried seaweed. Brittle as ash. If you know how to defend against them, they aren't too difficult to eradicate. How? I'm not going to tell you. Our intent was not to be mean, or even to conquer the land, only to stop your incessant need to pollute. If we find that you are taking our warning with some seriousness, we will, ourselves, pull them from your waterways. So, to answer my first question, why am I here? Mr. Sausage, you have the ability, through what you do, to reach many of your kind. You can make your fellow humans aware of the wrong they are doing and get them to listen. If you're talking about the National Bludgeon, which is the paper, the communication device I use to reach millions, you should know that our product is more of an amusement than what is regarded as a serious information source. A lot of people buy our newspaper just for laughs. Again, human humor. I really don't understand it. But we were aware that not all humans will consider what you give them, and many may offer it as a vehicle for ridicule. Ridicule is something the really, really smart fish people have trouble with. It's truth, but it's not the truth. That is something only human minds are capable of. But you have been one of the first of your kind to investigate us and our issues, and therefore are the most likely to deliver something to your kind that many can interpret and understand, whether they believe you or not. Frankly, we had to start someplace, and it was either you or the eels to gain people's attention. We think you are the safer alternative. I hope I can live up to your expectations. It has been a pleasure meeting you, Mr. Sausage. I believe we have had a constructive conversation. You will be safely delivered to your shore. Thank you for taking the time. Really, really smart fish people don't shake hands, fins. But I offered the general a wave, and that seemed to satisfy the circumstance. The guards led me back to the speedboat where our friend in the trench coat was waiting, and I watched the jellyfish spaceship sink back into the water as Mr. Trenchcoat started up the engine and whisked me back to Pier 35. I sat up all night thinking about it and called our first thing in the morning. Have I got a story for you, I told him. Fuck you. I was taken aboard an undersea spaceship. Fuck you. Fish people are attacking us with giant ass-eating eels. Fuck you. And I've been given the story exclusively, and I know how to stop these attacks. Fuck you. Should I go ahead and write it? Fuck you. I'll take that as a yes. And so I wrote it up and sent it off. Now to talk to the police detective involved in solving the cases, and then to the mayor of Miami Beach, and then to the governor, and then to the Pentagon, and then to the president. I was planning to be busy. This has been SolarWind Media Presents Ron Schaefer's Podcast. Find us at solarwindmedia.com.